Welcome to the Surrender Podcast. Surrender is a collective of Christian groups and organisations from across Australia. We work in unity to share Jesus' call to seek his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. We create spaces for the sharing of stories that motivate, support and equip people to love their neighbour, share good news and live justly, both locally and globally. Please note, Surrender provides spaces for conversation and storytelling and does not necessarily endorse the personal views of any one presenter. This is Jeff and Sherry Maddox's Bible study entitled Embodying Skin, Soil and Table. Jeff and Sherry live and work in the inner city of Melbourne with Urban Seed, arriving there in late 2016. Between 1999 and 2016, Jeff and Sherry and their son Isaac lived in the inner city of Lexington, Kentucky as missionaries with a focus on neighbourhood outreach and service, where they explore how Wendell Berry's wisdom meets the timeless insights of scripture and how we can inhabit our personhood, our shared humanity and our place with a sense of profound connection. This is part three of their Bible study. Because I'm not from here, you know, the kookaburras early morning don't worry me and they don't irritate me. Um, and I'm also up early. But this morning it was, it was particularly beautiful. I was up early walking and um, there was just not a sound other than um, creation waking up. And I was really aware that, um, that the creatures precede us in the morning. They go ahead and wake up and they do their thing and the magpies and the kookaburras and the the birds in the air make such beautiful sounds um, and I loved it it was a real blessing this morning so your sounds are really lovely and I'm sorry to interrupt them because um, maybe we should just sit and be together this morning and have conversations instead of Bible study um, but we'll open the word and um, again this morning we want to um, if nothing else if you've been here with us for the third day now. If nothing else, we would be happy that you are more mindful of yourself as a creature, beloved, beautifully made, um, that you inhabit the gifts that God's given you and that you are embodied. You're more aware of your skin, your breath, um, your life and your connection to other things, if nothing else. Um, So again, I would remind you this morning, I'm gonna read a passage to you I'm going to start off reading a couple of things. I would ask you to um, come back to your breath or pick it up for the first time. It's been going, but maybe you haven't been aware of that beautiful inspiration, expiration, respiration. Um, One good thing to do, and I don't know if you pay attention to this. If anybody does stretching or yoga, you might pay attention to it. Um, Often there's an instruction to take your shoulders all the way up to your ears and then drop them down and back. And I think, I watch other people now, I think a lot of times, especially when we're stressed or we're listening or we're intensely concentrating, we don't pay attention that our our, um, our, our muscles contract and creep up here and actually stay up here and that's not how we're meant to be. <laughs> you know, we're meant to be open, chest open, heart open, in a, in a receptive mode to the world. And so pay attention to how your shoulders feel this morning and drop your shoulders down and open. There's a difference to this. And I say this to our son all the time because he sits like this. He's 13 and he sits like this. And I say, everything in there is crushed right now, you realize. Sit up and open it. 
And then you, you literally physically make space for your lungs to inhale. Um, so pay attention to your breath for a few moments. Um, the gift of that breath, the miracle of a new day, the miracle of mercy and grace. Um, and I'm going to read um, as we start from Colossians, the first chapter at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile himself, reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Let me pray for us. Glorious God, creator of the birds in the trees, we give you thanks for a new day. We pause long enough to realize that it is a miracle, that it's filled with grace, undeserved and good. We thank you, God, for your breath in us, for all of creation, and for what you've done to get us to this moment in time and what you're going to do out of this weekend, what you've done here uh, with this group gathered together. So we praise your name together and we ask for your blessing, um, that you would take what we have and you would multiply it, that you would do much good in us and through us and in the world that you so love. Together we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me read to you something about trees. And this is a quote from a book called The Hidden Life of Trees that, that came out just last year. Trees synchronize their performance so that they are all equally successful. And that is not what you would expect. Each tree grows in a unique location and conditions can vary greatly in just a few yards. The soil can be stony or loose. It can retain a great deal of water or almost no water. It can be full of nutrients or extremely barren. Accordingly, each tree experiences different growing <coughs> conditions. Therefore, each tree grows more quickly or more slowly and produces more or less sugar or wood. And thus, you would expect every tree to be photosynthesizing at different rates. And that's what makes this research so astounding. The rate of photosynthesis is the same for all the trees. The trees, it seems, are equalizing differences between the strong and the weak. Whether they are thick or thin, all members of the same species are using light to produce the same amount of sugar per leaf. This equalization is taking place underground through the roots, 
There's obviously a lively exchange going on down there. Whoever has an abundance of sugar hands some over. Whoever is running short gets help. Once again, fungi are involved. Their enormous networks act as gigantic redistribution mechanisms. It's a bit like the way the social security system operates or should operate to ensure individual members of society don't fall too far behind. So we're going to, um, if you remember, we started out talking about uh, skin and that we are uh, made from soil, that each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. We talked yesterday about our shared humanity around the table. So the table was kind of our metaphor. And today um, we come back to soil. And we ask the question, what can we learn from soil about belonging, about membership to something more than just uh, what a lot of us have just grown up in the environment of, which is radical individualism, which um, is not a great story to tell ourselves and other people. It doesn't end well. Um, we want to say that, that we are placed people and that uh, we cannot be human without both acknowledging we're part of this huge family of other humans, but we would take a step further and say we can't actually be human without acknowledging and living into an acknowledgement that we are made as part of this wide family of animals, plants, creatures, soil, everything. Um, and, and obviously we've been referring to Wendell Berry and, and helping um, kind of draw the dots, or, or draw the lines, drawing the dots. I don't know what to say about that. Connect the dots. There you go. Connect the, <laughs> connect the dots between Wendell Berry's wisdom and insight and, and kind of biblical scriptural stuff. So let me tell you a bit about Wendell Berry because when we asked yesterday, there weren't an enormous amount of people who actually um, who knew about Wendell Berry or maybe had just heard of him. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about him. His, his life has been effectively an experiment in truth that we're going to explore through Jeremiah 29. So we'll come back to Jeremiah 29. Um, so I want you to think about, think about Wendell Berry and his example to us when we get to there. Um, he, was a, he was actually a real superstar scholar as a younger guy. Um, he had a book published and he was a rising personality in literature in, in New York City. Um, and then from that, kind of like that, he was just about to break out and be quite, quite famous um, in, in his chosen area of literature as a writer. And he went back home to his home place in Kentucky. It was 1964 and he was 30 years of age. And a lot of his friends said, you just ruined your career, you've ruined your life. Um, but the results of his homecoming um, are quite startling. He, he recovered some marginal land near the Kentucky River, so his farm is, was really dodgy land. It wasn't great bit of um, land. It was kind of belonged to his family for a long time, and no one had really farmed it very well, and people who had farmed it had kind of ruined it. Um, so he took real care and continues to take real care to love that land, and it's quite beautiful. Um, but he also has written over 50 books and won countless literary awards um, and lots of academic and governmental honours. In 2010, he won the National Humanities Medal. Um, President Obama um, awarded him with that. And then two years later, he delivered the Jefferson Lecture in Washington, D.C., which doesn't mean too much to us Aussies, but um, the Americans described it as the highest honour the federal government confers for distinguished intellectual achievement in the humanities. So here's this kind of poet farmer guy who, he's kind of grumpy, um, 
a nice man, but you know, he's 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 very intolerant of um, people who like me who think he's awesome. So um, so that's kind of a nice thing about him, actually. And and uh, he but he's been awarded this incredible. And he would say he would say when asked about this, he would say and has said that it's because he went back to the land and made. Um, the land, the soil, particularly his teacher. Um, he learned a lot, obviously, in school and all that kind of thing, but he went back and decided to submit himself to the ways, to nature, as a measure for the way a life should be lived well. So in this lecture, which I encourage you to look up, it's called um, It All Turns on Affection. Um, he managed to think up much of his thinking and doing. Uh, he's 80 years old now. 82, I think. Um, he teaches that culture, so all the culture that we talk about, subcultures and, and all that kind of stuff, he said you can trace it all back to agriculture. That's the first culture because every human creature needs to eat and needs to find a way to eat and needs to find a way to grow food to eat. Um, that soil and all that provides for life should be our first concern, which is an echo of Genesis where our first mandate is to tend and to keep. That's the first job every human person has to tend and keep God's creation. Um, so let me read a quote that, that kind of sums up his commitment to this affection. He says, I take literally the statement in the Gospel of John that God loves the world. I believe that the world was created and approved by love, that it subsists, coheres and endures by love. And that insofar as it is redeemable, it can be redeemed only by love. I believe that divine love, incarnate and indwelling in the world, summons the world always toward wholeness, which ultimately is reconciliation and atonement with God. So he talks about this kind of love that draws us to care and to tend and protect is actually um, not a duty that it's not, it's not a burden, it's not something that's put on us, but that this kind of work, and he talks a lot about work, comes out of affection. Um, and you can only care for and tend what you love um, in the proper ways. So it's no surprise that Jeremiah 29 provides inspiration for this kind of affection, mutuality, and loving work. The good work of belonging to a place, to creatures in that place, and to all of creation. The work of stewardship, neighbourliness and housekeeping are all caught up in this kind of affection. So if we read scriptures as one unified but diverse story, we can begin to read through the lens of God, people and land. God, people and land. And I think for us um, in our discipleship and in our learning about mission and service and, and just life really, um, caring for one another, if we always have those three things in our lens, it helps us kind of frame any circumstance. God, people, and land. And, and the land piece is, begins with uh, microorganisms in the soil. I mean, it's that small, and it's our microbiome, and it's, it's all of creation. Um, so it doesn't, it's, it's kind of an infinite uh, lens, and it's a lens that open, keeps opening up. No one should ever be done with the good work of growing up uh, to be stewards, to tend and keep. So let's go to um, Jeremiah. Are you guys 
familiar with Jeremiah 29? Is this something you've heard? I think it's kind of become a really important touchstone, an important text. Um, so we won't, we won't dwell on it a whole lot because uh, we do want to leave time again uh, as we have the last couple of days to chat and any questions. But I want, we, we do want you to think about this, that salvation always has a place. Salvation is not, it's not enough to talk about salvation as being individual or personal. Salvation always uh, catches up all of creation. In fact, one of our uh, friends and a, and a kind of an older writer in, uh, in mission and missiology is a guy called Howard Snyder, and he says that salvation means creation healed. Salvation does not leave out anything, and that God wants to save us uh, not from our place, but wants to save us in and with and alongside our place. Um, and, that, and God's love will not draw a line between us and whatever place we're in. And you can think about that as neighborhood, as your garden, as the Royal Botanic Gardens, or the whole planet. God wants it all caught up in God's redeeming love. So. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 7. This is the message from God of the angel armies, Israel's God, to all the exiles I've taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and make yourselves at home. Put in gardens and eat what, grow, what grows in that country. Marry and have children. Encourage your children to marry and have children so that you'll thrive in that country and not waste away. Make yourselves at home there and work for the country's welfare. Pray for Babylon's well-being. If things go well for Babylon, things will go well for you. So as we talked about yesterday, uh, we talked about shalom, and it's kind of the biggest word uh, in Scripture. It's the biggest word in our faith. Um, this part demonstrates, or this piece of scripture demonstrates that it, there's an unqualified command for shalom and the common good. It doesn't have barriers or but not this, it's everything. Um, and you've got to remember this at this time in history that the people of Israel are actually uh, prisoners, right? So the, the enemy has captured them and taken them back to work. So that this isn't come some one of our neighborhoods where we live. This is actually like in enemy territory. Um, they're in a completely foreign land, surrounded by their enemies. Um, they've been taken captive, and they don't even have any interest in this place doing well. So this is a really t twisted. You can imagine the frustration in getting this message from the prophet, right? You're there, and you're a captive. You think, okay, come and send in the helicopters. Come and take us out, collect us. And God says, oh no, actually, you need to really love these people. I'll put you here. Um, it's profoundly challenging. So make yourself at home and work for its welfare. And I think part of the struggle is we've had too, is, and we talked about this yesterday, when you come, come into the faith and you recognise the importance of activism and protest, it's really easy to be oppositional about everything all the time. And... Uh, and that, that can become a pattern that actually is, in time is unhealthy. We need to absolutely protest and be oppositional about things that are unjust. But if that's the main motivation, it's really unsustainable. Love and affection have to begin your journey, have to mark your journey, and it has to be the end of the story. Otherwise, you're just going to be worn out. At least that, that was a, a story for us. Um, so remind yourself about affection. 
um, and making yourself at home. So, just a couple of things. These instructions, it's worth noting, point out that we must be homemakers, and twice it says that. Make yourselves at home, build houses, make yourselves at home, and make yourselves at home there and work for the country's welfare. To make yourself at home is not just, you know, make a nice place for yourself, but it means offering hospitality and creating your home as a place not to retreat into, but as a place to welcome others and to be sent out from. So there's a, there's, it's very natural and I, I, I think the self-selected crowd that come to surrender are not inclined to do this, although um, I am, which is to make your home a bit of a, a, re a refuge. I want to go home and close the doors and shut everything down. And while there are times for that, overall our homes should be places to go out from and to welcome others in. Um, The other part of it is, is the Hebrew word for shalom, which we've talked about. Um, just to talk about shalom as peace is really anemic. Um, it's, not, it's not peace. It's so much more than that. Um, it's, it's the best that God has for all of humanity and all of creation. This is the word, this is the word that like salvation fits inside of shalom. Redemption fits inside of shalom. Shalom is the big word. Um, and, and unless you get that, it can seem like Seeking welfare is just kind of, I hope that nice things happen to my neighbours. Um, I, think, I think the challenge for us too at a time when we're facing ecological crisis is that welfare has everything to do with the way we treat our soil and that brings us back to Wendell Berry. His commitment that we have good soil, good land and good food is where is, is where he's always pointing people's attention. And I think there's a deep wisdom in that. It points us to indigenous cultures, uh, to their management of land that we have so much to learn from. It points us to the fact that even many of us live in cities or urbanized areas or suburban areas. That's just not a sustainable way to live. We need to have uh, pockets and rings of good agriculture that support that. That's why the, we talked about the table yesterday, that food brings us together uh, it, it reminds us of our humanity and our need for good land. Um, so it's not a marginal, some, well, I'm kind of into the environment. Every single person should be concerned with the environment. It doesn't mean everyone should be an ecologist, but everyone should take that seriously as part of God's uh, concern for the world. Because after all, we're animated soil. We've been animated by the ongoing breath of God. Um, soil hosts life, and it depends... Uh, it all depends on the, on, on the cycle of life, death, decay, life, flourishing, life, death, decay, life, flourishing. These are the, these are the cycles that we inhabit and that we, um, that we need to learn from and we need to cultivate wherever we are. Um, and that is a challenge for those of us who live in cities, but it's not insurmountable. So I want to talk to you about um, three ways that I have um, entered into wonder and utter awe at the connectedness of everything. And I don't know which came first, if a, a, a better understanding of Trinitarian theology really got a hold of me. And then I began to understand that we're made in the image of a triune God. We're not made in the image of just Jesus as person. We're actually made in the image of a relational, ever-loving God, Father, Son, and Spirit. I don't know if that came first or if everything together because I have a science mind so I really love how science is fleshing out the connectedness of everything I don't get physics but I do get physiology um, 
And so one thing I would say that I discovered when I was pregnant, I read a book written by an anthropologist called um, Touch, The Human Significance of the Skin. And if, if you've read any studies, and they always come out you know, in, in the press, um, that they started to look at infants in the 30s and 40s, and that um, they studied that when we have human contact, so when an infant is touched, we actually have an increase in red blood cell production. So we're made for touch. There's an entire book on it, and I was pregnant at the time as I read it, and it blew my mind, and it set me up for um, a much richer relationship with, with our son when he was born, because I began to understand that we're actually made for touch, for affection, um, for contact, for love, and for relationships. Um, and there's fascinating science behind touch and what happens in our bodies. And more recently, if, you, if you're a dog lover, like we are, um, they've learned that there's mutual production of oxytocin when you touch your dog. So that means like in you and then in your dog, because dogs are mammals and they're beautiful and they're made for a relationship too. And so when you, when you begin to understand that mutuality and it's it fleshed out through things like hormones, like oxytocin, which is one of the most beautiful things in our body, um, we're made for touch. The second thing that blew me away, and I'm crazy about this, and, and people kind of think I'm nuts, because I'll talk about it if anybody's slightly interested in the microbiome. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. Like, it's so great. Um, what's amazing, I'm, I'm really I'm fascinated by this. This is some of, I think it was, I don't know, within the last three years, some of the most significant medical research came out in like a hundred years of medical discovery about what it means to be human. And they understand now because of the Human Genome Project, we are 90% other. We're 10% human. So our cells, like what we're made of, like is 90% other stuff. Like I'm not kidding, this isn't a joke. I mean, this is real um, worldwide groundbreaking science about our bodies as they began to test all, the, all our orifices and to see what's there and what's in us. We've got all kinds of, we host all this really beautiful, diverse life in our bodies. And so the microbiome has focused on your intestinal system and looked at like what it means to be healthy or unhealthy. And now they're linking it to anxiety and depression and what goes on in our brains. So um, you might, our, our whole body and our ability to be well depends on the bacteria we host. And most bacteria, just like most insects, is good. Most bacteria is good for us. So 90% of all insects in the world are beneficial, but we spray with insecticides and we kill off everybody to deal with the 10%. Same with our bodies. 90% of all this stuff in our bodies, this mutual little life field, is good. And we need to nurture that with what we eat. So if you read about the microbiome, then you really start getting interested in like what you eat and how you feed you know, this garden that is our gut. Um, anyway, I won't go any, on any more about that, but it tells us that we are intricately um, interdependent within, and then they, in the microbiome project, the genome project, they looked at who you lived with, and even your pets, and they tested everybody and had a good look, and like, your household's healthier if you have pets, because you share about, I don't know, 30, 40, or 70% of your microbiome with your pets, so dog kisses are good. <laughs> Seriously. We're made for relationships. So finally, I'll say, oh, I'm missing my dog terribly. Um, finally, 
the last thing that's blown my mind in 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 the last ten years of being a gardener and being a self-educated gardener, um, we couldn't help but turn to soil science. And so soil science is really recent, like this microbiome stuff. I mean, it's just blowing things wide open. What they understand now about soil, so we're talking about not this stuff, because, well, that's not even soil, it's gravel. But if you took a cup, one cup of healthy, organic soil, soil that's been tended and kept, soil that's been nourished, so soil that would have been on our urban farm, that was years old with nourishment, if you take one cup of soil, there is more life in it than above all of the ground. There's more life. They're finding it's blowing them. It's just blowing people's minds. Like a cup of really fertile soil, and that life is microscopic. It's things you can see, you know, earwigs and worms and fungi and bacteria. That is crazy. This is God's cosmos that God so loves. So the stars in the sky, we've been studying longer than our soil. But if soil is healthy, it is teeming with life. And what they understand now is that the soil that our food grows in determines how healthy our food is. So the best thing you can do is eat food that's grown from your garden or somebody you know and that it's organic. It's crazy. So your gut is tied to what's going on in your soil. And tree life, what Jeff read, the mystery beneath the ground is so vast, we may never fully understand it. But what it tells me and makes me so excited about is that everything is connected and I can hold that in perfect tension with my understanding of who God is. as ever-loving, in-relationship God. Um, so we're meant to belong to our soil. Like once you begin to think about that, it's pretty fantastic. It could be daunting or maybe you don't even care but if you do care, it's pretty incredible to think all these different levels within the inner reconciliation we talked about, like all the deep um, inner mystery, who you are as a person, um, the, set at, the people that sit at your table and belong to your life. And then beyond that, you know, what goes on in your neighborhood, in the trees, in the soil, in the water, all that stuff gets to matter and all that stuff fits up under um, the transformative work of Shalom in the world. And uh, I think I saw him wearing this shirt that says y'all. See that? Y'all. It's my Kentucky t-shirt. Um, I think even, even there's another thing they say is all y'all. Isn't that great? So like y'all's good enough. Australians miss out because we have yous. The yous going to the whatever. That's kind of what they say. Yous going to the footy. Um, do, what else do we say? Do we have another collective? talk about everyone? No. We don't. It's a terrible sin. So let's all start saying y'all. Okay? It's okay. The Kentuckians are okay with that. And so, but even even better is when someone says all y'all, because that gets, and I think what, you know, if you can think about that, if that's your takeaway, all y'all. So all y'all, each one of you, and then the communities, the microbiome, the life that's in you, and that's part of you, uh, all y'all. Shalom, okay? So, um, this is like foreign language training. Um, so, a few things that we can take away from Jeremiah 29. Make life in a place that's not your own. I think part of, part of one of the problems, one of the things I was really taken with for a while was the idea that we're, we're just, uh, 
you know, strange, we're strangers in a strange land and this is not our home. And in fact, I was just yes, last night, I was chatting with a man in um, Baptist Place in, uh, in, in the city, um, in the laneway. And he was a dear man who uh, had a tragic life and, and jail and all the stories horrible. He was playing guitar beautifully in the laneway. And so I sat with him and talked for a while and he was, he was pretty high, but um, still articulate. Which, um, and he was just a beautiful guy. But he was telling me, what's with, the, what's with the Bible basic instructions before leaving Earth? And I, have you guys heard that? B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving Earth? I hadn't heard it in Australia, but I heard it in America. And I thought, what a heretical thing that is. Like, what a horrible, it's just heretical. Like, basic instruct before leaving Earth? Have they even read the Bible? It's all about living on Earth. It's all about our future on Earth. It's all about heaven and Earth coming together in Revelation is, is the story we hear. We don't go away from here and float off into the clouds. God is making this. Kingdom is coming now on Earth as it is in heaven. It's just so heretical. Anyway, so I didn't, I didn't try and break it down for him. Um, because he broke it down for me and talked about the importance of love for one another and of places where people can just hang out. And, and it, it was actually... Despite the bad education the church had given him about the good news, he'd come to the conclusion that it's about learning how to love one another and be in each other's presence. Um, so, make Jeremiah 29. Don't think about this place as enemy territory. Think about it as the world that God loves and that God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. This is a place we should love like we're going to spend eternity here, which, you know, scholars like... Tom Wright tell us is true. Um, it's going to have to change for sure. There's a lot of horrible things that happen, but this is, um, we should be starting to taste the goodness of the kingdom coming in our lives. So make yourself at home in this place. Practice an economy of abundance in exile. We talked about abundance um, and scarcity yesterday and how we need, as kingdom people, an economy of abundance. Take a real keen interest in ecology soil plants animals not everyone is going to be into that but find a place where you can connect your curiosity with the world that god has made um, we cannot be the people of god the people of the creator if we don't take some interest in the creation um, we need to immerse our lives in the lives of those around us this is what we talked about yesterday around the table the table reminds us of our shared humanity that we belong we're members of one another let's not be dismembered um, that's really essential um, and we've got to remember too that loving your neighbour is not some warm affection you have that you hope your neighbour doesn't have difficult things happen to them loving your neighbour is to take responsibility for your neighbour that's what love is to take responsibility for so um, if you feel like you, you just don't fight with your neighbour so what's the problem think more deeply about those grounded relationships where you live and work um, and have your life um, and that's about it we, uh, there's, a, there's a great saying one of the leaders in our community an African American man who, who, um, who does great work with kids and, and in a pretty tough neighbourhood has always reminded us there's no such thing as a leak on your side of the boat so we're all in this together we share our place and there's no such thing as a leak on your side of the boat So we're going to end with this prayerful poem from Wendell Berry, written maybe under the night sky in Kentucky.
And his poem is called The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be. I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting, for their, waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Amen. Bless you all. Thanks for being with us. Um, yeah, we, uh, we feel really um, loved and um, received and witnessing the relationships that gather here at a place like Surrender and God's blessing and the sending out and the restoration and then the kind of goodness that brims up and goes with us into whatever we go back to. Um, are there any other reflections? Does anybody want to say anything or just probably could be first in line at the cup of tea, tent? How do you suggest people practice this in inner cities and in suburbs? It's a great question. And so I don't know if you mean by in the cities just because of the lack of soil. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm living that. Um, yeah. <laughs> we left a, a, an urban farm, an inner city, really vibrant urban farm, and all people who loved me said, how in the world will you survive on the seventh floor in the CBD? Um, you know, my love, my, my affection didn't diminish. It found new objects and so my love has been poured really um, directly into house plants and propagation um, so for me and that just flows out of me as a is my desperate need for green things and to be among living things that don't speak um, but that grow new leaves and, and are green so um, I, that's the same thing about my family I mean, my family's great <laughs> We also have, um, we, we got some worms, we got a, th a thousand worms, we haven't named them all, but, <laughs> but there's a lot of pressure on them. It's, a, it's an indoor composting uh, vermiculture system, which are really cheap, and, and your, your um, city, uh, city council or whatever, there's, I'm sure there's a way to get one. They're really cool. What was it, do you remember the name of it's it? It's a worm farm. Yeah, just yeah. a little worm farm. But after having quite a, a tenth of an acre with chickens and bees and and orchard and all that stuff, all that pressure is now on these worms and houseplants. <laughs> it's a lot for them to take. I think there's a lot of anxiety in the worms because we're checking on them, come on! So, but, but it actually, it's been nice. Like, it is a lot of pressure because we check on them all the time. <laughs> and, and they have, um, they get our scraps, some of our scraps, and they get our coffee grind, grind some of those, and we see them in real time making soil like faster, faster, make soil. And uh, that's really beautiful. That's one little tangible thing that in an urban setting you can do. Uh, what I would encourage you, I think what's really exciting, regardless of how much space you have, you know, whatever your space is, it's bounded. So the, the first thing to do is not to be overwhelmed by the vastness of your environment. 
um, but to scale it back to human scale and what you are interested in stewarding or tending and keeping. So always start with what you're interested in and don't try to do something because that's, you know, what's just should be done or is cool or looks good, but figure it out and then let your imagination go. So figure out whatever inhibits your imagination. It's such a great gift. I mean, children do it beautifully when they get out a piece of paper and they just go, they start drawing. Um, so whatever that is in your context, if it's a, a really um, urban tight setting or there's expanse and there's even the, the best stuff to get excited about is third spaces, especially in neighborhoods, corners, Corners are really begging, they're full of potential corners. So, um, you know, think about it and get with somebody and go, oh, let's put a piece of art there because I love art or my friend's an artist, or I'm just gonna do flowers in this little area and I don't know who owns it, but I think it'll look good. Um, like just start thinking about something, or blank walls. So uh, Melbourne is incredible with art. Public art is, I mean, it just every time I would visit it blew my mind at the like how accessible and ordinary art is and it's just interwoven through the built environment art is so important so wherever you are if there's some blank space find somebody who does murals put a mural up and um, you know if you have to ask for permission you know that's just getting involved with the place you know right around you but the sky's the limit of what that could be um, and I'm sure in, in this room there would be hundreds of ideas what you could do. Um. I would encourage you, um, there's a great uh, website, and I think it's pps.org, Project for Public Space, is that right? Public, public for, Project for Public Space Making. They've done work around the world. I think they're in, in New York and in Denmark, but they are responsible for a bunch of decisions made in Melbourne about 15 years ago that have made it this incredible walkable city. So the fact that a lot of streets now are pedestrian only, the, some of the decisions, key civic decisions that got made, like I get to benefit from that because it's a flourishing city where you can walk. Um, the pps.org, fantastic they have a booklet they have the best stuff on neighborhood placemaking um, and city placemaking and examples from around the world um, and and they their work i think it has to be intentional because everything i've ever read is very accessible it's very doable it's not just way out of reach with like high technique and so get on that like that's really fun to look at all their archives because they do great stuff Um, yeah, we, um, <laughs> Christy asked, can we tell what we're doing at Urban Sea? Yeah, um, well, we're new, um, we've only been here six months and living there about three months, four months. Um, so we are going to, um, we're in the process of planning, um, for a project called Urban Seedlings. Um, and we are going to take space in the building and turn it into an indoor urban farm. Um, so this would be our first go at social enterprise, which is something the whole organization is considering, is how do we weave social enterprise into what we do, not just for financial sustainability, but really for something to be really generative that people of all kinds participate 
um, in making, in creating. And so we, um, because people kept saying to us as we've listened, work from your strengths. So I'll tell you that, work from your strengths. Um, so we're great with things that grow. Uh, so what we hope to um, help hatch is a uh, project that involves um, both giving away, because that's all we ever knew how to do. We gave everything away from our urban farm. We didn't know anything about like revenue streams or making something work and pay for itself. Um, so that'll be new. But um, through plant propagation, so plants have an abundant and almost endless capacity to produce. If you have a plant and you've ever cut it and rooted it in water and then had a new plant, or succulents, which are the best, they're such sweet little things that even their, their one leaf or stem will then make a new plant. It's utterly amazing God's economy all over this stuff. So plant propagation, both for sale and distribution in our neighborhood, um, involving people, engaging folks to, to be a part of growing plants and then distributing them, um, because we think everybody should have a plant. Even if you're not crazy about plants, plants make us better humans. Um, so plant propagation, the second potential revenue stream would be aquaponics. So indoor, an indoor aquaponics system. Australia does aquaponics great. Um, you have good weather for that. We would bring it indoors with artificial LED lighting and um, through a closed loop fertile system with fish, um, raise microgreens or microherbs. You see them on fancy salads and in wraps. Um, they are super good for you. They are super expensive and restaurants will pay a lot. So you, you can sprout almost any seed and, and that seed, when it sprouts, it'll give the taste of the plant. So it might be spicy or bitter or peppery or sweet like a pea shoot or a sunflower seed. You can sprout those and in about two weeks, you can sell a tray of those to a restaurant for a good amount of money. So it's probably one of the most high-end things you can produce. Tomatoes might take four or five months you just can't do that. I mean, it takes too long. You need a farm for that. But indoors, an aquaponic system can produce trays of microgreens. They can be packaged and sold. And these are social enterprises that are going on around the world. Definitely where we were in, the, in Lexington, this was already happening. Um, so, and then we like to have a composting system, a worm farm, and then experiment with low light plants um, because this is in, a, in a, a, almost a basement area. So how do we have green life indoors we need it to clean our air plants do the very hard work of purifying our air and if you live in a city you need as much air purification as you can get and um, also we need to figure out how to grow food indoors this is our 21st century future for food security so that's what we're gonna yeah just, just that so still people involved or just plants Oh no! Oh no! Lots, lots of people. people. Yeah, yeah. In fact, that's that's I think part of the what we have seen and experienced and what we've done for, for almost twenty years is recognise how plants actually create the that they're the hosts, you know. And, and, and obviously, um, a meal is great as well. It's a beautiful way. Food is the host. Um, this is going up the food chain one step toward plants. It's still food. Um, but it does, as Sherry said, does all those other things as well, which is really exciting. And, and obviously this is what we love and passionate about. Oh, yes. Um, I was just gonna say that I really like your comment that this is a place like, you know, Earth is not enemy territory. And I think that can be really difficult sometimes when you're along brothers and sisters in Christ who don't have that perspective and it's us against them, you know, oh, we're being persecuted and, you know, it's, 
from a place of love, like mm. coming from that place overall. You know, we're not, you know, and, and that the earth that God created the earth is beautiful and mm. and to live out heaven on earth, I suppose. Yeah. You know, Good, thank you. Yeah, I think one of the great problems with our my tradition, evangelical Christianity, is that we focus so much on sin and evil, and instead of and saying, you know, what a, what an aberration that is. I think a bigger, more beautiful question is why is there so much good? Why do people do such nice things to one another almost all the time? Like random strangers, generosity. And these aren't even, I'm not even saying Christians necessarily, but just the, like, people are good, you know? And we're, and we're all broken, and I, I, know the, I know about my own sin, and, and I know there's corruption, but it's, that's a great mystery to me. And I think a fascinating mystery to, that we could probably spend a century dwelling on, and it might actually turn, turn our faith into something um, more beautiful. So the people said, oh, you know the Christians? Yeah, they're the really beautiful, kind people who welcome and include, and instead of yeah, they're the bigots and the the people who talk about sin all the time. Can I give a shameless plug? And it's kind of in response to Dave's question about what you can do in the city, yes. what you guys are doing. Um, I'm from Whitehorse, so if you know you guys are eastern suburbs, suburbanites. Um, we planted uh, three wicking beds. Um, in the middle of Box Hill Mall. I got together some neighborhood people and I tried to get churches involved, didn't get one taker. Um, so um, basically it's been there since January. Um, it'll be there hopefully to the beginning of May and we're putting on two public workshops to teach people about plant propagation. Little tiny micro permaculture sort of stuff, but just things that turn people's heads. And just as we as Christians are meant to sort of make people stop in their tracks and go, What's going on here? You know, yeah. we're trying to break back the kingdom of God into what you know the urban spaces that are growing up around us. We think that uh, Box Hill is kind of like the second CBD of, uh, of Melbourne, uh, very multicultural. Um, we planted the wicking beds next to uh, a ramp, which is normally inhabited by disorderly teenagers. <laughs> so I'm sort of like picking cigarette boxes and <laughs> bottles, but th the things are growing. They're very resilient and we like to teach people about them. Um, so August, sorry, April 1st, April 8th, we're going to put on some public workshops. If you're interested and your church might be interested in hosting one of these wicking beds that have seats on them to invite people in, um, please speak to me afterwards. Yeah. That is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. That's not a shameless plug. That is glorious. Um, and, and that's like, that's so creative and, you know, probably didn't cost a ton. I mean, there would have been effort to plan it and do it, but get really creative because once we get over our fear, creativity waits for us. Like anything's possible doing good and creative things. Um, and, and even that little space will, is transformative and it, cause people, it'll take them, you know, people are there to shop. And then you see, hey, wait, what's that doing? What's that inside? It's just beautiful. We're meant to respond to those kinds of things. So wonderful. We'll pray for that to just flourish. And get ideas like that and go. I'm also going to jump on the plug, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also starting an urban farm in North Melbourne. Um, I'll talk to you guys later. Um, if people want to get involved, uh, that'd be at a bit bigger scale. Also looking for rental blocks or empty blocks, so people know uh, neighbours or friends that have a, a rental property or 
uh, live in North Melbourne, have space in the backyard. I'm trying to essentially work up uh, three or four different backyards, have them together, sell up farmers markets, um, and also grow food in the city and sort of use underutilized space. Um, yeah, anyway. Revolution is started. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's beautiful. Yes, and I'm waiting for the day. I'm holding out for the day that farmers are ordained and anointed <laughs> at the highest level. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Go farming. Well, thanks, everyone. It's beautiful to be with you. This is a bit of a negative question, but what do you think about lead in urban soils? Have you guys done much? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we lived in a 140-year-old house that had lead paint and it had multiple coats over the top of it, and people were quite worried as kind of a garden revolution took off in our neighborhood. And um, one thing to do is plant, it's just not plant near the foundation of your home. Now you can't, I mean, you can test for lead and I don't know how, it was, it, it was quite a bit more involved where we were and um, you could get basic soil testing and then you could get, you know, testing for um, those um, toxic uh, chemicals. Um, so you can do that. The, what a lot of people do is just opt for raised beds. So you bring it above soil, you put a um, permeable barrier down and then import your soil. Um, and then spend years loving it until it's alive. Um, but that, you know, that's an option. And, and it is real and it is important. Um, we didn't worry about it. Um, we did have raised beds. We kind of uh, demonstrated everything in the ground planning and then raised bed planning. Um, so yeah, you could certainly do that. This is one of many conversations recorded live at Surrender 17 Melbourne. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and check out our website surrender.org.au for more resources and opportunities to get involved.